Good morning, it's so great to see you here today. My name is Hannah and I serve with students at our West Chicago campus. And I'm Emily, I serve with our kids team at our West Chicago campus. Hannah, have you recovered from CareFest last week? If I'm being really honest, it's probably the hardest physical labor I've ever done at CareFest. <laughs> what? Um, I know, I usually end up at a school and I wash windows for like 30 minutes and then I play Foursquare with the kids that I'm with. This Lucky year, luck. a little different, a little different. I dug like foot deep holes, like probably about this big around for small pine trees that we planted and the soil was like rocks. So wow. needless to say, I'm a little sore, but it looked beautiful whenever <laughs> we were done with it, which was great. So are you recovered? Yeah, I don't feel like it was actually hard at all. The dads at our site did like all the heavy lifting. So I was just like pushing mulch around. It yeah. was, it was fantastic. That sounds amazing. So. Sunday, this last Sunday was CareFest, and so Josh talked about another opportunity to get involved over the summer, whether it's with a Puente team or a serve opportunity with our church or neighborhood Bible clubs. So Emily, you are like the queen of neighborhood Bible clubs. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about it? <laughs> <laughs> neighborhood Bible club is a three-day Bible club that you host in your yard for a few families in your neighborhood. So our Kids Life team and I, we're working hard to prepare materials and support to make it super simple for families to host a club. We really hope that this offers a chance for reconnection with friends and neighbors this summer. That's awesome. And I know this isn't your first rodeo before, so what's been one of your favorite memories from MBC over the few years? Oh, that's hard. Okay. One of my favorites is when we, I was at a neighborhood Bible club that was being hosted at an apartment complex by some families in our church, and a lot of the kiddos had never heard about Jesus before, but they were singing the Bible verse songs, and they were singing truths about Jesus, and I just like remember looking around the circle of adults that were there, and like everyone had teared up because they were like, this is, this is why we do NBC, <sighs> like for kids to know about Jesus, yeah. and it was, it was beautiful. That's so beautiful. It's super fun. Like yeah. Water Day and all of those. Oh, like, all but this is like, that's what gets me pumped mm -hmm. about NBC. Totally. To get more information or sign up to be a host, you can go to wheatonbible.org slash volunteer to get more details, or you can always see me or one of our Kids Life team around. That's awesome. Thank you, Emily. And lastly, I just want to give you all one more reminder about all the events coming up for our senior pastor search this week. So Tuesday and Thursday, there are going to be town hall meetings to interact with the elders and search committee. Wednesday, we have an all church prayer night to seek God through this transition. And then next Sunday, there's a member vote to confirm the elders nominee, Pastor Hannah Rodriguez, as our next senior pastor. You can get all these details and register for the events at wheatonbible.org slash senior pastor. That's all for today. Thank you for spending a part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Bye, see ya. All right, good morning, familia. One of our traditions as a church is on Mother's Day, we like to celebrate family dedication. And as a church, we believe, and the reason why we do that is because as a church, we believe that uh, our kids are not just important to us, but they're extremely, extremely important to our God. See, the way I have framed this before, I don't think that our, that our children are the future of the church. I actually believe that the ch our children are members already, unofficial members of our church. See, as Christians, we should believe that when we have our kids as Christians, uh, God makes special promises to our kids. It doesn't mean that our kids are born as Christians already, but it means that God has special plans and promises, and he makes special promises to our kids. This is the reason why the Bible says that God calls us, God says that when a person becomes a Christian, you and your family will be saved. That's exactly what that means. See, if you pay attention to how the Bible shows families, it is always the parents that were bringing their kids to Jesus. 
That's kind of what we're doing today. So I'm going to invite a family to the front with Jeannie. Um, this is a family that, has, that is trusting in the promises of God, that is trusting in the, in the presence of God, not just for them, but for their kids. And today we have here, uh, I'm actually going to allow, can you guys please come to the middle? Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to allow Jeannie to introduce the family. Uh, Jeannie is the, the family director, coordinator, something like that. All right, so please go ahead. All right, so I would like to introduce Hannibal and all of you to Jeff and Rachel Condrashow. And so they are here dedicating Seth Michael. So Seth is 10 months old. They have been a part of Wheaton Bible Church for about 14 years, got into community almost as soon as they got here, and it has just been a huge lifeline for them. So they are here dedicating Seth with, with Hudson and Katerina, and they're going to help Seth come to know Jesus, aren't you? You're going to help teach your big bro- our little brother about Jesus? Yeah, good job. So they have chosen Psalm 91, 1 and 2. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. May you guys just be blessed as you raise all of your kids to just know and trust in the Lord. Hannibal, would you pray for us? Yeah, can you do me a favor? As a family, we want to do this as a family. Could you please stand? And I'm going to ask you please to stretch out your hands toward the family. And let's pray for this beautiful, amazing family here. Lord, we are so grateful because we get to see how faithful you are. Lord, you know what this family has gone through. You know how much you have sustained them and protect them and take care of them and give them extra strength in times of trouble. Lord, and we come before you, bringing Seth before you because he's truly a promise, a blessing child. I pray, Lord, that you protect him, that you raise him to be the man that he must be for the glory of your name and the joy of people. I pray for the family, Lord. I pray that you give him wisdom and you protect them. I pray, Lord, that you use them so so the family, the entire family and their kids could see Christ in them. Lord, we come to you because we believe in your promises. We come to you because we trust your love and your goodness. Please bless this family and bless Seth that he may be a man that grows up to be someone that points to you, speaks about you, glorifies you, and serves you you. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, how about we give them a round of applause? Thank you, guys. Let's remain standing, and we'll begin our worship with a responsive reading called to worship from Psalm 103. Let's read responsively. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As, as far, far as the east is from the west, west so far has he removed our transgressions, transgressions from us. Amen.
Lord, we come before you grateful because of your presence and grateful because of your love. We come before you, Lord, because we have nowhere else to go. Who do we have in heaven but you, O oh Lord, and nothing we want outside of you? Lord, that's our prayer. That's what we want to believe, Lord, but you know that that's not the reality of everything that we live week in and week out. Therefore, Lord, we come to you and we ask you, Lord, to please reveal yourself to us even more that we may be able to grasp and understand the magnitude, the depth, and the, the depth of your love. Lord, I don't know what the congregation is today, but I, what I do know, Lord, is that everyone here has experienced something, is experiencing something, or will experience something. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that in the midst of all of that, we may always remember that because of Jesus Christ, we are never forsaken, never forgotten. That you are always, always very present in times of trouble. Reveal yourself to us today, Lord. And allow us to get to know you even more. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Motherhood plays an important role in the Bible. It binds the beginning and the end. These stories offer us a glimpse into the heart of God. And so we start at the beginning. Taken from the side of Adam, gifted with bringing forth life, the first woman was named Eve because she was the mother of all living. But she was also a mother in her own right, the first of many mothers to come. Though Sarah's womb was closed, God promised nations and kings would come from her. Ten years pass and motherhood seems as impossible as the day it was promised. But the Lord is faithful to keep his promises and Sarah bore a son who made her laugh. Leah was the firstborn, overlooked by her husband Jacob, who gave his heart to her younger sister. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Despite Jacob's disdain, she found her motherhood in the Lord. When Pharaoh became angry at the fruitfulness of the Hebrews, Jochebed sacrificed her motherhood for the sake of her son. When Pharaoh's daughter saw the child, she had compassion on him. Because of Jochebed's sacrificial motherhood, the Israelites found freedom. Naomi was a mother who experienced the loss of her sons, yet she gained a daughter in Ruth who declared, for where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Naomi and Ruth became family by faith. Mary, a virgin and not yet married, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The motherhood of this blessed woman was more than the continuation of a family name, but a means for God to bring a savior into the world to save his people from their sins. From the garden to the cross, there have always been mothers. These women paved the way for all women, 
representing the full spectrum of the ways one could be called mom. Whether a mother in faith, mentorship, adoption, or by birth, you play an important role in the stories of generations to come. To all the Sarahs, Leahs, Jochebeds, and Naomis, Happy Mother's Day. As mothers, we have a high and holy calling, a role of eternal significance. Not glamorous, but glorious. We reflect the glory and love of our self-giving God as we lay down our lives to give life. Yet like thorns to a rose, the curse has made this often a painful and difficult experience. As a mother of four, I have never been more aware of my own weakness, selfishness, sin, and limitations. Yet I am so grateful that I've never been more dependent on his spirit, his word, his grace, and his leading. This is an impossible task and only able to be done in his strength. So I can only mother in the strength he provides and seek to be faithful for the joy of seeing him reach my children through me but most of all, for the joy of having more of Jesus. Isaiah 40, 10 to 11 tells us, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. May we trust that Jesus holds us, carries us, leads us in our mothering as we hold and guide and raise our children. And may we find our everything in Jesus, that our children might see him in us and know him. In this labor, he holds us, and he has promised to lead us all the way. You 
Good morning, familia, again. Today's a special day, isn't it? It's a special day because we get to celebrate Mother's Day. So for all of you that are great-grandmothers, grandmothers, biological mothers, and or spiritual mothers, because you guys are, and you ladies are, life givers, nurturers, healers, and unconditional lovers, we want you to know that you are deeply loved and appreciated and we thank you for your presence in our lives. And we are thankful to the Lord for allowing us to be in your life. Because of that, whether you are here or here or worshiping with us at home, we want to say thank you, we love you, and this clap is for you. Could you please join me? Now, a clap without a gift means nothing. So you make sure that you talk to your family after the service. <laughs> All right, in order for us to, that was not part of the, I keep saying things that are not part of what I planned, right? <laughs> As I was thinking about this, I said, what is the best way to honor our mothers today? And I think that the best way to honor our mothers today is actually by an asking one question and seeking the answer from the Bible. The question is, why is it that motherly, motherly love is so unique? That is the question that I'm trying to answer today. Why is it that the motherly love, the, mo the love of a mother is so unique? It's actually very unique to, compared to any other kind of love. It's different to romantic love. It's different to the, to the love a father has for his children. Uh, it is different to any kind of other love. There's something unique about the way a mother loves his children. And I think that the Bible talks about that. Because of that, we're going to read today Isaiah chapter 49, verses 13 through 16. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 13 through 16. So I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word, a sign of reverence to him and his word. And if you're still here, could you please say, I'm still here. Isaiah chapter 49, starting in verse 13. It says, Shout for joy, your heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, your mountains. For the Lord comforts his people. And he will, and he will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Lord, we ask for the presence of your spirit as we open up a scripture. I pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts and help us understand and see why is it that the love of a mother is so special to you and to us? And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen. you may take a seat. Today we're talking about three things. We're going to talk about the need of motherly love, the source of motherly love, and the price of motherly love. The need, the source, and the price of the uniqueness of the love of a mother. 
So let's go with the first point, the need of motherly love. Let me start by giving you a little bit of context on the book of Isaiah, just in case you're not familiar with the book. Um, the book of Isaiah is, uh, is obviously a prophecy, a bunch of different prophecies, and it's divided into three different sections. The first section of the book of, of Isaiah goes from chapter 1 to chapter 39, and here God is confronting his people because there is, their tendency is to seek security outside of them. And he wants to bring them back, and he wants to give them rest. But that first part of the, of the book of Isaiah is extremely confrontational. The second part of the book of Isaiah goes from chapters 40 to 55. The text we read today is within that section. And here God is speaking to his people, wanting to restore his people, heal his people, relieve his people, and give them hope. See, when he's writing, when the prophet is writing these things, these prophecies, God's people are in exile, Babylonian, Babylonian exile, if you will. And all of that section, at the end of the day, says that the only way we're going to find healing and hope and peace and rest is because of Jesus. So all this section is about Jesus, prophecies, prophecies about Jesus, pointing to Jesus, reminding us of one day Jesus would come to make all things right. The third section of the book of Isaiah is promises that apply to everybody at all times until Jesus returns. But once again, the text which is read comes on the second part of the book of Isaiah. So this is written to a group of people that is suffering, that, is, that are struggling, that are victims of oppression, that are victims of their own sin, to their own sin and personal decisions. And God starts this section by giving them this beautiful and amazing, amazing vision, something that he says that one day he will accomplish. So in verse 13, he says, Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into a song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people, and we have compassion, and he's afflicted ones. Notice, notice the vocabulary there. He calls his people, suffering people, to experience joy and rejoice and sing. Because their God is a God that brings comfort and is a God of compassion. If you read Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 21, you will see something very similar to this. Actually, this text, verse 13, is painting a picture of what God is going to do when Jesus returns for the second time. This is a prophecy made about the return of Jesus before Jesus incarnated into this world. And this is the gist of it, to put it in my own words. God says to these suffering people, one day this whole creation, both humanity and nature in itself, will experience complete freedom. One day suffering people will experience no more slavery, no more corruption, no more pain, no more sin, no more groaning, complete restoration of all things. Heaven and earth will sing joyfully. The mountains will sing peace, joy, healing, and the complete renewal of all things. That's the promise. This is God saying to suffering people, in the midst of your pain and in the midst of your struggle, see beyond what you see. 
See beyond what you experience. Because suffering has an expiration date. Now, those two words that we find there, comfort and compassion, are extremely important because they actually explain why is it that the Lord is promising this. The word comfort literally means in the original to be sorry. It means that God feels the things that we feel. That, that God, to a certain degree, experiences, if you will, what we experience as broken people living in a broken world. See, the word comfort means that God is both, that, both, uh, that God extends both sympathy and empathy. God not only understands what we go through, but to a certain degree, God is so close to his people that he feels what we feel. But the word compassion, it tells you why is it that God does that or goes through that. The word compassion in the original, and I actually don't understand why they don't use the, the original word, is the word love. But it's not, listen up, it's not romantic love, it's not emotional love, it's love that comes from within. I don't know if you ever heard this phrase before, but I think that it makes sense when we think about God. The phrase says, I love you so much that it hurts. I think that that's exactly what God is saying here. God is giving this beautiful vision to these suffering people to give them hope. Notice that God is trying to appeal to their minds, to their thinking. And he says, think about this. Think, what I'm going, think about the things that I'm going to do. Think about the things that I'm going to bring. Think about this. The question for us today is this. Is that enough? Is it enough for us to know objective truths? Is it enough for us to have information about who God is and what God is going to do? I want to argue that if you are honest, it doesn't matter how mature you are in your Christianity, sometimes knowing is not enough. Sometimes having a lot of, a lot of information about God and his word is not enough. If that would be enough, we wouldn't struggle as much as we do. See, let me give you an example that I've used before. We know that junk food is not healthy. And yet, it's delicious. <laughs> because information is not enough. I mean, I might be the only one that eats junk food, right? But I think it's delicious. Did you know that God understands that? I actually think that this is the experience of these people. This is part of the reason why we have the text that we have. God promises this amazing thing. God paints this picture of this amazing thing. But look at how people respond. But Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem of God's people, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. See, there is a difference between objective truth an existential truth. Sometimes knowing is not enough. 
Sometimes what you feel is what you need. That is not divorced from what you know, but if you, what you know is real, then it affects your emotions. This is a group of people telling God, honestly, you have forsaken us, you have forgotten us. Sometimes what we know doesn't match what we feel. Can anybody relate to that? Can you raise your hand really quick? I relate to that all the time. But you know what we do? The tendency, at least in popular culture, is to ignore your emotions. We use phrases like, um, well, this too shall pass. You just ignore it. Please excuse the expression. Suck it up. Or we would say things like, well, I'm just not an emotional person. You know who says that the most? Males. Which is so ridiculous. Please forgive me. It's so ridiculous because I have seen you, how emotional you become when your favorite team either wins or loses. That's an emotional reaction, people. A couple of weeks ago, I went to watch a game, uh, this, see this game, uh, uh, Soldier Field, the Chicago Fire, first game. And you know that, if you're familiar with soccer, people over there, you know, it's, it's, soccer is for male people, right? It's like super macho man. These guys are emotion, emotional all throughout the game. They suffer, they weep, they scream, right? And then they say, I'm not an emotional person. But our emotions cannot be ignored because they are the cry of our soul. Our emotions are a window into our hearts. Our emotions talk about the reality of our hearts. Our emotions talk to us about what we love and what gets us upset and what we hate and what breaks our hearts. What these people are going through right now is actually letting their emotions flow. And the Lord takes it. And the Lord listens. And the Lord doesn't say, how could you? How dare you? Listen to what uh, Dan Allender and Tremper Lungman say about our emotions. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. See, God understands that. And this is where the motherly love image comes in. It's this combination of God appealing to our minds and dealing with our emotions. At the beginning of verse 15, he says this, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Let's just stop there for a second. If you are a mother, I want you to feel how much God honors you. That text shows us that the God of the universe describes himself like a nursing mother. Isn't that amazing? This is what God is saying. 
If you want to know who I am, if you want to know how I love, you must understand how a, mar- how a nursing mother loves that baby. See, verse 15 is a rhetorical question. See, verse 15 is what I would call a theological metaphor. Metaphors in the Bible always appeal to your mind and to your emotions. And because it's a rhetorical question, when God says, can a mother mother forget the baby after her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? The obvious answer is no, never. It is almost impossible that a nursing mom can forget about her child. This is the way one of the scholars puts it. The attachment of a mother and a child is direct and almost mystical. This is what God is saying to a group of suffering people. If you really want to understand how how I am attached to you, if you really want to understand, know, and feel how how I am bound to you in the midst of your pain and struggle, see how a nursing mother loves her baby. Feel that. How about if I tell you that we all crave for that kind of love? How about if I tell you that we all need the motherly love? Even if we don't have our mothers with us. And this leads me to the second point. Because one of the primary things that we see in the text is here is that God is using that metaphor to point to his love. So point number two, the source of motherly love. And there are three things that we can learn from a nursing mother. This is prior to formula, okay? Nothing wrong with formula, but this is prior to that. And I had to do a little of a study here because for obvious reasons, I've never experienced that. But it's so interesting. Actually, science is going to help us a little bit here. It's so interesting what a woman experiences when they're breastfeeding a child. Three things at least from what I learned this week. Number one, a nursing mother could never forget their child. You know why? Because of prolactin. Now, if you, don't, you might be wondering, how does Hannibal know that word? Thank God for the internet. <laughs> See, prolactin is this hormone in the mother that produces milk. And it's the same hormone that allows the mother to know when the baby is hungry. That's amazing to me. Actually, her body reminds her that there's a baby that needs to be fed. Sometimes, I have been told, it hurts. Do you remember what God told his people? Do you remember what God's people told God? You have forgotten us. And God says, how could I ever forget you? My heart, my nature does not allow me to forget you. The same way a nursing mother could never forget her child, I cannot forget you in the midst of pain. Number two, a nursing mother delights in providing for her baby. 
This is where another term comes in called oxytocin. Oxytocin. Which is interesting because this is another hormone that allows the mother to experience social bonding. That's the word that I found. Meaning that when the mother is feeding her baby, she finds delight in providing for her baby. You know, I, I have seen that one time and time again, you know. Pay attention to a nursing mother and see her expression after she dealt with all that pain. And you could see delight. Those are the best pictures, by the way. When you see a mother looking at the baby, completely, completely full of satisfaction. You remember what God's people told God? You have forsaken us. And God says, how could I ever forsake you? If my delight is to provide for you. How could I ever forget you? If my delight is to have you with me. To suffering people. And number three. A nursing mother loves unconditionally. For some reason, this is the one that gets me the most, you know. Because we live in a, in a culture that is all about give, or, give and take. We live in a culture in which you must give your part and somebody else got to give you something. We are the culture of contracts. We are the culture that meets people halfway. I do this part, you do this part. If you don't do your part, I don't do my part. What's amazing about this picture and this metaphor is that the mother gives, 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 and gives. And the baby takes, 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 and takes. And the mother never says, come on, boy, how long? <laughs> I've used this before as well, but to me, it's shocking to see how much a mother is willing to give and she gets nothing in exchange for the first three, four months of life. See, if the baby's smiling before that, usually a mother or a father would say, look, she's the baby smiling at me. Probably not. <laughs> and yet, the mother continues to give. Do you remember what God's people told God? You have forsaken us. You have forgotten us. And God says, how could I ever do that if my love for you is unconditional? What can you give to God that he doesn't already have? He doesn't need your praise he doesn't need your worship. He does not need your talents. He does not need your money. He does not need us. And yet, he wants us with him. That is the message for suffering people. 
He loves us so much. Remember the word compassion that appears twice in the text. He loves us so much that he comes from within. He feels what we feel. He feels what we feel. He is where we are. Oh, we have so much to learn from the love of a mother. The love of a mother is almost mystical, said the scholar. It's this mystical attachment of a mother and a child. It's like the love of God. The reason why I use the word like is because the love of a mother is like an arrow that is pointing to the real love. It's because it's a shadow that points to the greater love, to the source of all love, the love of God, the motherly love of God. See, the love of God goes even farther. The love of God is even more powerful. The love of God is even more perfect. The love of God is even more secure. The love of God is even more reliable. The love of God is even more profound. This is why in the second part of verse 15, God says this. Though she may forget you, because that is possible, I will not forget you. That's a promise. That is not a contract language. This is unconditional love. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter where you are today. It doesn't matter how little you have or how much you have. It doesn't matter if you see yourself as the worst of sinners or if you see yourself as unworthy to God. It doesn't matter if you have it all or you have nothing. If you belong to God, if he is your God, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God loves you even more than a mother loves her child. His love is better, more powerful, more perfect, more secure, more reliable, and more profound. He cannot forget you. He cannot forget you. He will never forget you. You know what was the best thing that my mom did for me? Pointed me to that love. The best thing that my wife could do for my daughters is to point them to that love. It's a love so secure that in verse 16, God says, it's like if I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And it's like if you are always, always before me. You know the word engraved there literally means to cut or cur- carve something into a hurt, hard surface. Once it's carved, it's permanent. And God says, my love for you is permanent. And it's also visible. That's your God. I love that last phrase when it says that you are always before me. Or your walls are always before me. Because I am completely sure that only God could say that. Only God can say that. So here's a little bit of my testimony. I think that I have an amazing mother. I was raised by a single mother. I really have an amazing mother. I actually think that my mom's uh, is a description of this text. 
See, she fought for me when family members told her to get rid of me. She was a mom that always defended me and protected me at all costs. It was a mother that sacrificed it all for, for my siblings and I. It's a woman that truly, truly displayed covenant love and continues to display covenant love. My mother is this big, but she will beat you up if you go against me. She will turn into a karate lady. <laughs> but as good as my mom is and has been, she could never say to me, you're always going to be before me. For goodness sakes, when I was six months, she tells me that I was laying down next to her. She turns around, and I disappeared. <laughs> I fell between the bed and the wall, and because I was wrapped up with, with blankets, you know, I didn't hurt myself, but she couldn't find me. As much as she wanted to be with me, with me all the time, she couldn't. I have experienced that. My wife experienced that with our daughters. We go on vacation. We put our first daughter next to us. We turn around, and she's gone. I look down be below the seat, and I see her buried in the sand. We lift her up. I laughed a little bit because she was super funny. We clean, we clean her up, but my wife can never say, you would always be before me. It's physically impossible, but God can. The source of all love, the source of motherly love. See, we have talked about the need of motherly love, the very need that we all have. The source of motherly love, God, that, that being God, but lastly, we got to talk about the price of motherly love. And I want you to see verse 16 once again. Doesn't that verse remind you of something that happens or happened in John chapter 20? Right after the resurrection, Thomas comes to Jesus. Thomas is the one that couldn't believe. On John chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus tells Thomas, put your finger here in my hands. Stop doubting and believe. Why would this verse remind us of that verse? Because the palms of God's hands. are the palms of Jesus' hands. It is in the palms of Jesus where we, where we see engraved the magnitude of his love. It is in the palms of Jesus that we see engraved what he was willing to do. It is in the palms of Jesus where we see engraved the consequences of our sin. It is in the palms of Jesus where we see engraved that God truly is God, a God of comfort and a God of love. It is, it is in the palms of Jesus where we see what he was willing to do for us. It is in the palms of Jesus where we see engraved that because Jesus died and resurrected on our behalf, we will never be forsaken and we will never be abandoned and we will never be forgotten. Because there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. It is in the palms of Jesus where we see engraved our name. See, it is in the palms of Jesus where we see the price he had to pay, the price of his motherly love. See, Jesus at the cross was forsaken, so we wouldn't have to. 
See, Jesus at the cross was forgotten, so we wouldn't have to. See, Jesus at the cross had to cry the same way a baby cries. Why have you forsaken me? And for your sake and my sake, the Father had to let him go. See, today I'm grateful for all great-grandmothers, grandmothers, biological mothers, and the spiritual mothers. I am grateful because you are life givers, nurturers, healers, and unconditional lovers. But as Christians, we are even more grateful for those mothers that have pointed us to the greater life giver, to the greater nurturer, to the greater healer, and to the greater unconditional lover, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Did you know that this is one of the reasons why we participate in communion? Did you know that part of the reason why we got to come to the table and take the bread and take the juice is for us to remember and never forget that we have never been forsaken and we will never be forgotten. See, when we participate in communion, we are being intellectually engaged and existentially engaged. We get to remember in our head that Jesus surrendered his body and shed his blood on our behalf. But our entire being is engaged in this because we get to see it and we get to taste it. This is why communion is so important. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ already, this is for you. This celebration is for you. If you already surrender your life to Jesus Christ, this is a reminder of the, the motherly love that you already have in Jesus. The Bible calls us, though, before participating, to examine our hearts. So if there's anything that you need to surrender to the Lord before participating, please do it. If you need to repent, please do it. If you need to ask for forgiveness, please do it. If you need to forgive, please do it. We're going to give you some time to think about that and allow the Spirit to work in your hearts. And then we will participate together. Amen?
cover of your cup if you if you haven't done it already I'm going to take the bread and this is what the bible says The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he took the bread and when he had when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me you may participate Now we can remove the second cover of the cup. And the Bible tells us that after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Lord, as these elements enter into our system, may the covenant love of God enter into our hearts. So we may know you with our heads, but we may know you with our hearts. So we may know more about you and who you are and what you did for us. But so we may experience even more who you are and what you have done for us. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we say. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us? Just as I am.
Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord be gracious to you and turn his face toward you. May the Lord give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. Happy Mother's Day. We love you. Church, you are sent. Thank you.